Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. And we're actually doing a first this weekend. So sometimes, I've taught in the past, I've filled in for my dad in the past, but this weekend we're in the middle of our vision series for 2020. So Pastor Ed started with Into Faith We Go last week, which is the title of our vision series. And then he asked me to come alongside and teach part two. And the part two message will be titled Follow the Leader. Uh, so I get to present part two of our vision series. And the reason for this is because as we jump into 2020, I believe, and I know my dad believes, I know the staff believes, and I hope you believe that 2020 is going to be filled with opportunities for our church. Uh, not just individually, because there's always opportunities for us to grow individually in our walks with the Lord, but corporately as a church, I do believe the Lord has some great plans for us. I do believe the Lord is not done with us. We just celebrated 20 years as a church a few weeks ago, and I believe the Lord has many more years ahead of us of ministry happening, not just in our city, but our state, our region, our nation, and to the uttermost parts of the world. So as we jump into 2020, we wanted to deliver this concept and help bring it home because if we don't understand how to follow the leader, whether it's God or our own pastor, Pastor Ed, we'll miss out on the blessings that come with seeing vision executed by the Lord. And my heart for us today is that none of us miss out on the blessings of seeing vision come to pass, especially when it's God's vision for our church. One of the culture statements that we have here at Calvary, and uh, Calvary Axiom, you can call it, number three is we follow the leader. Uh, we choose to submit ourselves to the Lord and what the Lord desires for us as a church body. Not, again, just individually as we all should as believers, but also as a church. And a part of that is the Lord has given us a spiritual leader here, a local leader for our local church. And I've already mentioned it's our pastor, Pastor Ed. Uh, he moved our family out. I get to say our family because I'm a son. But he moved our family out from California 20 years ago with a desire to bring the gospel to Aurora, the desire to bring the gospel to the city. And the Lord, through 20 years, has blessed us and blessed us as a congregation not only to do that for our city and our region, but also send missionaries out throughout the whole world. On top of that, we have Grace FM and many, many other things. But before I get ahead of myself, I just want to give you guys kind of a brief intro to the message today. Uh, we're going to be looking at two things. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 14, and we're going to be looking at Jonathan. I think Jonathan gives us two characteristics that most godly leaders have. And then we're going to look at his armor bearer, who shows us really the best example of what it looks like to follow the leader. And we're going to really hone in on the armor bearer today. But before we do that, let's pray. And then we'll jump into God's word. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this church. Lord, we thank you for this building you provided for us. We thank you, Lord, for the resources you've given us to spread your word, Lord, to spread the gospel. And we just ask, Lord, that you be with us this morning. You prep our hearts. You prep our minds. Uh, Lord, that you prepare us for what you have to say. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would limit distractions. Lord, that you would be with Pastor Ed as he teaches and the, the church family at Redemption, Lord, this morning, that you bless them. I pray, Lord, that you would give us insights that we've never seen before, Lord. I pray that you remind us of truths that we may have forgotten. But more importantly, Lord, I pray that you give us a unified vision uh, for what you want to do with us today. 
I thank you, Lord, for this time. I ask, Lord, the words that come out of my mouth would not be my own opinions or my own thoughts, Lord, but it would just be you speaking through me, using me as your vessel. We thank you for your word, Lord. We ask that you bless this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I came home the other day. I've been renovating my house, so I'm living with my parents, and I came back to the house, and on the TV was a show that was pretty popular a few years ago, and one that me and my family used to watch because we were always looking for ideas and tactics to help raise a sibling of mine. Uh, This show was, I'll give you the premise, and then I'll give you the name. Most of you will know it. The idea is you bring a nanny from England with a really cool accent to come to your house and help you raise your troubled child. And she has all these cool tips and tricks and mats and naughty corners and things that she presents to you. And the show is called Super Nanny. Well, Super Nanny was on and she was coming to the rescue for this family. And I'm going to change the name of the little guy because I don't want to put him under the rug because I've never met him. But his name was Tommy. And Tommy was a two-year-old. For those of you who had two-year-olds, you understand that two-year-olds are also known as being in the season of terrible twos. Well, Tommy was no different from any other two-year-old. This kid was going crazy on the show. And his dad was legitimately afraid to bring him out in public. So the nanny decides to send them father-son time to the medicine store to go pick up some medicine. They didn't tell me if it was a Walgreens or anything like that. But I'm watching. I'm interested. I'm walking in the door, you know, seeing a screaming child on the TV kind of grabs your attention. You're watching. And he starts off really well. Like the car ride's going great. But as soon as the dad stopped, put the car in park, immediately Tommy just starts yelling, no, 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 no. And it just continues to go where the nanny's like, well, you got to pick him up. You got to carry him. Go walk him outside. Tommy gets outside. He drops on the floor. Like he is just flailing. Like I've never seen this before except at Disneyland at the end of the day. And Tommy was doing this right in the middle of the street. So the dad's trying everything, you know, doing the one arm grab, like carrying him through the store. And the nanny's like, no, you just got to lift him up. You got to show him. And and, you know, it just reminded me, was like, I get to teach this message on Sunday, and he's giving me a great example. Tommy was showing us how not to follow the leader. Like, he was just giving that blatant example. And I know for us, there are things in our lives where we don't want to do something. We are given a task or we're given an opportunity, and we feel like Tommy. Now, I hope, and I know most of us don't, and I hope you don't, scream and cry across the sidewalk and stamp and get yelled and like just causing a ruckus in the store. However, I think in our hearts, we do that a lot. In our minds, we do that a lot. In the innermost thoughts, we do that a lot. We wrestle with the things that are presented before us because we refuse to surrender. Like little Tommy, we just learn how to hide it a little bit better. Well, It's important for us as a church, as we get ready for 2020, as we look to the things God wants to do, the opportunities he's set before us, it's important for us to understand this concept so that we're not like Tommy. Because after the commercial break, Tommy gets ice cream because he calmed down. And little did Tommy know that the sooner he calmed down, the sooner he would get ice cream, the reward for being a decent little child with his dad. His mom was waiting to take him to the ice cream store. And I think for us, the sooner we realize how to follow the sooner we realize the benefits of following, the quicker we get to the reward. And for us as believers, the reward is enjoying the blessings and promises of God in our lives. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, as we jump into it, before we read, I want to give you a recap 
But as a church in 2020, into faith we go. It's not into faith I go, it's not into faith you go, it's into faith we go. We do it as a team. We do it together. We accomplish what the Lord desires from our church community, in this community, in our state, in our region, in our nation, together. We're not doing this as solo individuals, but the Lord has called us to serve Him together. And as we jump into faith, I think it's really key that when we're faced with things that are difficult, when we're faced with those solutions or those problems or those things where our leader or we are led or being led into a situation that doesn't look very fun to us, the key to get through that is faith. The key to say yes to that is faith. The key is I trust, I surrender in order to see the benefits of what you're telling me. And at 1 Samuel 14, we're going to see what that looks like between Jonathan and his armor bearer. As you turn there, we're going to read from verses 1 through 15. I want to give you a summary of chapter 13. I want to give you some context and some background on what is going on during this season so that we might better understand what's happening in chapter 14. Chapter 13 opens up with Saul being newly anointed as king. He's been ruling for a few years. He decides that he wants to gather his army together, the army of Israel, to fight the Philistines. And for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you know the Philistines were often a thorn in Israel's side. They were often used by God to judge Israel. Uh, They would send raiding parties. They would attack. They would just, they would oppress the Israelite nation. Well, Saul decides to gather men together, about 3,000, and he sends 1,000 with his son Jonathan, and he keeps 2,000 for himself. 1,000 and Jonathan, so 1,001, men of Israel defeat the Philistines in Gibeah, it tells us in chapter 13. They have a victory. From that victory, it spurs on in Israel this excitement and this ready to do battle with the great Philistines to finally win. However, for the Philistines, they were frustrated. They were upset. They were mad. And what it tells us is that Philistines gathered 6,000 horsemen, more warriors than grains of sand, and also thousands of chariots. They come ready for war. As you can imagine, if you are a king or a prince with 3,000 men, seeing this army of thousands will worry you deeply. On top of that, Saul was told to wait seven days for the prophet of Israel, Samuel, to come and offer a sacrifice to God before going to battle with the Philistines. Saul waited seven days, and Samuel didn't come on time, or at least at the time that Saul thought he was coming on the seventh day. So Saul decided, very logically, I can't go to battle without making sure the Lord's a part of this. So he decides to offer the burnt offering without Samuel the prophet. It says in chapter 13, when Saul finished presenting the offering, that Samuel arrived. Like it was in unison in the same verse. As soon as Saul finishes, Samuel shows up. And Samuel asks Saul, why did you do this? Why did you disobey the commandment of God? Why didn't you, and I'll add this in there, follow the leader? And because of this, Saul was given a consequence, and it was that his dynasty would end with him. It began with him and it would end with him. For the Lord has picked someone else, someone after his own heart. And that one, that man that you may be familiar with, would later be known as King David. To add a little more context to the situation, chapter 13 tells us that of the 3,000 men that they had for war, 600 remained with Saul. 
Now you have an army with a king who is not necessarily in a good light with the Lord. The prophet has left him. He's just found out that he will no longer after him. There won't be a dynasty with his family as it was normal for the kings of the day to have their sons take over. And you have a very tiny army versus a very large army. It looks like 100% failure is ahead. On top of that, it gives us even more detail in chapter 13 that the Israelites didn't have a blacksmith in Israel. All the blacksmiths were in Philistine. And the only reason that Israel could go to these blacksmiths was to get their farming equipment sharpened. No one in Israel except for King Saul and his son Jonathan had weapons for war, had a sword or a spear. Only King Saul and Jonathan. I say all this to set up what we're about to read in chapter 14, because this is a dire circumstance. This is something that looks as an automatic 100% loss for Israel, loss for Saul, loss for Jonathan, loss for the people of God. You have a small army, ill-equipped, without the blessing of God, facing an army that is frustrated and upset that this nation that they've held under their own power for so long is now deciding to rebel. And now we get to open up in chapter 14, starting with verse 1. Pick up with me. It says, Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod, but he and the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. In verse 4, between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sinai. The front of one faced northward opposite of Michmash, this is where the Philistine army was gathered, and the other southward opposite of Gibeah. And in verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said in verse 8, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, wait till we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus to us, come up to us, and uh, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Pause real quick. In chapter 13, there's a whole verse dedicated to where all the Israelite men hid. They hid in holes, they hid in caves, they hid in rocks, they hid in thickets, they hid everywhere that they could hide. So the Philistines are mocking them in verse 11, pick up in verse 12. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about a half an acre of land. 
And there was a trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked, so that it was a very great trembling. If you were to continue reading on in chapter 14, what happens is a great earthquake continues. There's infighting amongst the people of the Philistines. Israel rallies together, and Israel is victorious with the hand of God. And that's always the outcome when God's involved in a plan. That's always the outcome when God's involved in what you could describe this as a secret mission for Jonathan, having this idea or this thought. And the first thing I want to point out is Jonathan. There's two things that godly leaders typically have in common. And and Jonathan has this or shows us these two characteristics in verse 6. If you would look at it with me, it says, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Godly leaders, and as we're called as believers to be leaders in our world, godly leaders tend to have a bigger perspective of a situation or a greater perspective of a situation. For Jonathan, he sees what we just talked about, the summary of chapter 13. He's very aware of the problem that faces Israel. However, he's not afraid and he's not cowardly, like he's not hiding, he's not under the pressure of the situation. Instead, he looks at it and says, I wonder what could happen if God decided to use us today. I wonder what might happen in this situation if God was involved. And he looks at this situation and he kind of broadens his perspective. And for us, as believers, we're called to be leaders in our world. We're called to be leaders for those who have yet to believe. When their lives are going out of control, when they feel hopeless, when they feel burdened, when they feel broken, we're called to be the ones who bring hope. We're called to, one, to be the ones who bring that bigger or greater perspective of life, that there is something more than what you're experiencing in the moment. There is a Savior who died for you. There is a Jesus who loves you, who wants to have relationship with you, who wants to rescue you from the situation. That's what we're called to do. We're called to have a greater perspective. And as a church, we're also called to have a greater perspective to help lead our community. Uh, I think since I've had the pleasure of being here for the last 20 years, I've seen a lot that the Lord has done through this church. And one of those examples is Grace FM, which I now have the blessing of overseeing. And Grace FM was a big step of faith, as I know it's been mentioned before in our church from Pastor Ed. But there was this thought or this idea that what if we could present the gospel 24-7, like on a regular basis? What if we could make sure that when we're not gathering, when you and I are sleeping, the gospel's still going out to those who are awake? And it was pretty expensive. Like, it was a big number to get into the radio world, to take this area, this opportunity. And when my dad presented it to the church, there was some excitement and there was also some pushback. And that pushback looked like people who were very upset and very angry with this idea of using the funds of God to do this project. Because I mean, who listens to radio? No one listens to radio, actually a lot of people do. But it's going out of you know, style, this was 10 years ago. It's not, it's not gonna be around because XM radio is taking over. You know, satellites are coming in and we're like, you know, we know this is what could be. However, the Lord's put it on our heart as a church to pursue this opportunity. And so we kept doing it and people ended up leaving the church very upset that this was the direction we're going. I can tell you now having the opportunity to, to oversee it, the testimonies and the feedback, the people getting saved from that station just in the last few years 
is overwhelming in a good way. The Lord is using Grace FM to reach lives when we can't physically do it all the time. In fact, and I was just thinking about this this morning, one of your pastors on staff here at the church, because of Grace FM, came to the church and got saved. And now he's a staff pastor. Like, it's just amazing. Yeah, it's amen. Praise the Lord. The Lord is using these steps of faith that he calls us to as a church to accomplish his goal, which is to win people to himself, for people to get saved and join us in heaven. Our goal, as you know, our, our mission statement, our our vision is always win, disciple, send. You, we want to win people to Jesus. We want to disciple them in Jesus, and we want to send them out for Jesus. And that'll never change. And the, the things that we do are for that goal, so that people might know Jesus and be with us in heaven. Godly leaders tend to have a perspective that spans beyond some. And I always want to be a person who's a part of what God is doing. I always want to be a person who's supporting what God is about. I do personally feel bad for the faces I remember. I don't remember their names, but I remember their faces. For the ones who left the church upset. Because although, and I'm not saying they're not saved or anything like that, but they're missing out on the blessings of knowing I was a part of what the Lord was doing through that radio station. Which is what we get to do. And when we take part of what's going on here in our local church, when we take hold of the vision that has been given to our pastor to go forward for the gospel with the Lord. Jonathan here is showing us that he had a greater perspective. Second thing I want to point out for godly leaders is Jonathan also is not talking about his own abilities here in verse 6. He's not saying, you know, remember when we won that battle with just a thousand men in chapter 13? Remember my strategy, my tactics? Remember the skills that we had? I was the only one with the sword. You know how I took them all down? You know, he's not saying that at all. This is all dependent on God's gifts and abilities. This is all dependent on, I wonder if God would do this because he knew the truth about God. He knew the characteristics of God. He knew that God could win with many. He could win with a full army. But he also knew that God could win with few. And it was this perspective that Jonathan says, maybe we're that few. Maybe we should go out and present ourselves and see what God may do with us. Godly leaders not only tend to have a big perspective, but they also understand it's not about them. And for us as believers, we need to understand it's not about us. And I don't want to offend you, but you're not that cool. and You're not that effective on your own. The only thing that makes us special is the Lord using us for his purpose and his works. Now, I'm not saying you don't have talents, you don't have skills, you don't have great personalities. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying those are all gifts from the Lord to be used for the Lord. Jonathan understands that it has nothing to do with his skills, his abilities, his past victories. It all has to do with the Lord showing himself faithful in the past. Possibly the Lord wants to show him faithful again in the future. For us as a church, I can stand before you today and testify that the Lord has shown himself faithful time and time and time again in this church. Not only just in my life, and I think as you look into your own life, you can say the Lord has shown up faithful time and time and time again in my own life. It should encourage us and help develop a perspective in our own hearts that the Lord wants to show himself faithful again, again, and again. As we jump into 2020, as we look at the vision for our church for 2020, we want to prepare our hearts to be able to follow where the God is leading. 
We don't want to miss out on the blessings. We don't want to miss out on the ice cream because we're unwilling to follow the leader, because we're unwilling to surrender our own thoughts or our own ideas or our own perspectives or, or surrender the idea that, no, I am capable of bringing someone to the Lord. You are if God is the one allowing you to. You are if you understand it's God doing it through you and not of your own works or your own power. We are able to change the world as a church if we realize it's the Lord working through us and not our own amazing ideas or amazing abilities. It's any idea, hopefully, is God-given, given by the Lord. And that's where we trust our leader. In the context of our church, our leader is, happens to be my, my dad. I trust my dad a lot, man. I trust him all my life now. I'm trusting him as my pastor and my boss. Like, you want to talk about leading? I'm, I'll tell you how to follow. So, Looking at that, those are two descriptions of, of a godly leader, and I want to make sure that we have that as a focal point for us as we live our lives. Obviously, Jesus is number one, always going to be our leader, but he has established many leaders in our lives. We have political leaders, we have teachers, we have bosses, we have coworkers, we have leaders in our family. Like, we're surrounded by leaders all the time. However, we need to make sure we're following the right ones. And we need to make sure that we're following the right vision and we're putting our efforts in the things that will matter, the things that do matter, and the things that will bring God the most glory. And the best example of that is found in verse 7, the armor bearer. I love this guy. His heart to follow after Jonathan in this crazy plan, like it's just illogical plan, is amazing. And it's something that I want to shape my heart and my mind around as well. So look at uh, with me, verse 7. Uh, 1 Samuel 14, and there's three things I want to point out in this verse. It says, so his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. I want to give a, a little preface real quick. If you're using a different version than the New King James, don't worry. The NLT or any other version that you're using, the same concept is there, but I'm going to be focusing on specific words that are found in this translation of the Bible. The first thing I want you to focus on is the word do. Do all that is in your heart is the first thing the armor bearer says. What's cool about this is the armor bearer, and this is what I would say is like a stage one follower. Do it. I am in agreement with what you just said. And let's put in the perspective of, in this room, I think most of us could say we're stage one followers of wanting to see people come to Jesus through salvation. I think we'd all agree, yes, let's see it happen. Let's do it. I want to see that. This is stage one. The second thing he says is, go then. I want to focus on that word, go. He's no longer just in agreement with what Jonathan has proposed as a plan or the vision for what he has uh, for him and his armor bearer, but now he wants it to happen sooner rather than later. Saying go is like, I don't want it just to happen. I don't just agree with you that it should happen, but I want to see it happen soon. I want to see you do it. Go do it now. That's what go represents in this verse. This last thing I want to show you and you could say that was like a stage two. Stage one, yeah, I agree. Stage two, I want to see it sooner rather than later. Stage three is here. He says, here I am with you according to your heart. Not only did the armor bearer want to see the vision of Jonathan happen, but he also wanted to see it happen sooner than later. On top of that, he was willing to join to execute this vision. He was willing to make it happen with his leader. For us, like I use little Tommy as an example. 
We may be all about the trip. You know, like, yeah, I don't know. Tommy was just having a problem with going to the, to the store. He just doesn't like the store. I, I'm all for the store. Let's do it. And let's do it now. I'm a stage two. Let's go all the way. But some of us have a really hard time with being a part of it. Like, I'm okay with people getting saved. I really would like to see that. I'm okay with it happening sooner than later because, you know, it, it's a good thing, people getting saved. They're holy, they're, or at least more holy. They're more righteous. The world becomes a little bit of a better place because there's morals and, you know, it would be awesome to see the world improve if people got saved. It would be great. I'm all for that. And I'd like to see it sooner rather than later. I think we can all agree on that. However, this is where it gets a little fuzzy. Stage three, I am with you all the way. I want to see it done. I want to be a part of the solution. I want to be a part of the vision to see this happen. The armor bearer is all three. It's like, Jonathan, not only do I think your plan should happen, not only do I think it should happen soon, like you should go and do it right now, but I want to join you. I'm here with you to execute this plan. And for us as a church, when we're presented things, when we're presented opportunities, when we're presented areas to serve, when we're presented areas to be ministers of the gospel, we too have the choice to check off what part and how far we're going to follow, how good of a follower we're going to be. A lot of us, I think, and I know this for myself, agree. Stage one, I fully agree with that. I think winning people to Christ, discipling them in Christ, and sending them out for Christ, I'm 100% about it. And two, you know, I'd rather see it sooner than later. I want to see the empty seats filled with people that need Jesus. I want to see this sanctuary grow. I want to see our events be more successful. I want to see people in general start following the Lord because of our church sooner than later. But I'm not really sure what you want me to do exactly with stage. Now, how do you want me to execute this? How do you want me to be a part of this? Because that battle looks like it's a lose-lose situation. It looks like it's just me and you versus thousands of men. It looks like God's not with us because our leader, our king, made a ma major mistake. It looks like my farming utensils are not going to last versus a well-trained army. And those fears and those hesitations, those thoughts, tend to be the thing that blocks us from saying, I will be a part of something. Our doubts, our fears, the absurdity of what is being brought before us tends to hinder us in going all the way. I've heard this phrase, and I'm definitely guilty of using it, but you either have a small problem and a big God, or you have a big God and a small problem. I think that's true for a lot of cases, but I also think this is true. I think you can have a really big problem. I think it's pretty normal to have a big problem and just know that you have a bigger God. I don't think, and, and yes, we can get in the argument, no, no, if you understand how big God is, it does make any problem, no matter the size, really. I get it, I get it. We're not going to argue on that fact. But I think we're human, and I think that when you are shocked with the things in your life, the unexpected moments, the loss of job, the broken relationships, the shock of losing someone that was close to you. Those things are big problems. They're big, I don't want to say nuisances, but they're big stumbling blocks. They hinder you. They hinder the mind. They hinder me. They slow you down. They make you stop and you're just like, I don't, I don't know. Like everything I've learned about God, all that I've heard in, in church and in services, it doesn't seem to make sense as much as it once did before this fill-in-the-blank hit my life. 
whatever that is for you. And I think that's normal. Like, you're not a bad Christian for thinking that. You're not a bad Christian for being in shock of like, oh man, like this is huge. This is a, a major problem. And I want to encourage you in that because some of you, you could feel like, I don't, just don't have enough faith. That's why it's overwhelming. Don't worry. It's okay if it overwhelms you. You're human. God knows that you're just dust. However, when it becomes wrong is when you allow those doubts and those fears to hinder you from fully following God and what he's called you to do and the vision that he's presented before you. The key to being able to get over that hump, the key to being able to get over that problem, to have that perspective is faith. Faith is what gets you to the other side. Faith is the commercial break before the ice cream. Faith is the choice of saying, I know what I'm looking at. However, I understand my God is capable. Jonathan looked at this and he said, I know what I am looking at, but I know that my God can win with many the standard way, or he can win with few because my God is victorious no matter what. And he may want to use me. I get to stand here before you today and I can tell you, we already have the victory. Like the victory is ours to take. We get to go and take that. Whatever it is that the Lord is commanding us to go after, we can, in faith, look at those problems, look at those, those things that slow us down, that cause our doubts, that cause our fears, that, that seem to discourage us. And we can say, by faith, this won't be what stops me. By faith, this won't be what hinders God working in my life, through my life, through our church. By faith, we're going to give it to the Lord. And as leaders in our world, as believers, bringing the gospel of Jesus to those who need it, they can look to us and say, this person has the perspective that doesn't stop them. They have something that I don't have. I'm stuck here, yet they got over that. How? It's the relationship with Jesus. And as a church, and as we develop what the Lord wants to do through us this year, and as we see the different opportunities he'll present to us, we have to have the same attitude as this armor bearer. When it's presented to us, no matter how crazy it may seem, you want to do what with radio? We have to be willing to say, Lord, is this really from you? I trust my leader that you've given me, the one that you've appointed for me. And by faith, I'm going to be a part of this. By faith, I'm not just going to be in agreement with it. I'm not just going to desire it sooner than later, but I'm going to be a part of making it happen. I'm going to be a part of executing your vision for Calvary Church. And when we get to that point corporately, the Lord will start doing it individually and vice versa. Because I know there are things in this room today that you're afraid because of what it looks like when God's saying, you just need to put your faith in me and go forward. And as that happens in the heart, in each of us here today, it strengthens our foundation as a church. And as our foundation as a church is strengthened, we can go out in power and take what the Lord has given us. Take the victories of chapter 14 for the Lord and allow him to come with an earthquake. Like the earthquake wasn't started by Jonathan and his armor bearer. He just needed them to start some little ruckus. And as soon as it happened and the men went down, it says he comes with an earthquake. And then the rest of the chapters, the confusion, the Philistines fighting each other and all this craziness happens and the Lord gets the victory. He doesn't need us, but he likes us to be a part of it. And I'm here to tell you, the Lord 
doesn't need you to accomplish his will, but he wants you to be a part of it for your benefit so you can enjoy it. So you can say, I did this with the Lord. I saw the Lord and his faithfulness. Now, a couple things before we close. I don't know if Jonathan knew this, but it's a fun fact. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 30, it says, that one man with the power of God can take down a thousand, but two men with the power of God can take down 10,000. I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, it didn't mathematically make sense to me because one is 1,000, two would be 2,000. I'll try one more time. One is 1,000, two would be 2,000, right. But in God's mathematics and the way he works, two is 10,000. And I'm okay with that because I look at this room and I see way more than two people. I know that whatever the Lord is calling us to do, he's going to do it far beyond what we could ever expect. One taking 1,000 is already pretty amazing to think about, but two taking 10,000 is even more amazing. I was reading a commentary on uh, Matthew chapter uh, 16, and this is a chapter where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and sharing that no matter what, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And the commentary was by Pastor John Corson um, from Applegate up in Oregon. And I really enjoyed it because he brought something that I never really thought about with this passage. And I'm going to share it with you because it was so cool. And it kind of fits today's message. Gates, like physical gates, are never, like you've never been attacked by a gate unless it's like an electric gate. But back then during Jesus' time, it wasn't. It was just a gate. Gates are not aggressive. Like they don't come after you. They're not attacking you. Gates are intended to protect things that are owned or possessions that are owned. What I love about this section or this statement by Jesus is that he's presenting a picture that the church is the one who's going and prevailing over these gates. They're the aggressors. They're the ones on the offensive. And they're going in to prevail over these gates to reclaim that which the enemy thinks he already owns. I like using Grace Defend because it's a great example. The devil thinks he's the prince of the power of the airwaves. We took some of that back for the Lord. On top of that, the devil thinks he's taking a lot of people with him to hell. And the Lord's already told us that as we break through those gates, we can reclaim them for Jesus. Like that's the promise we have. The gates of hell will not prevail against his church, but the church has to be the ones willing to be aggressive for the gospel, aggressive for the things of the Lord, aggressive for the vision that God has given us, active. Some of you may be like, I'm not really aggressive, though. That's not the personality God's given me. It's okay. He'll teach you. It's his Holy Spirit. But we should be. When it's the things of the Lord, we shouldn't be passive. We should be those who are ready to fulfill God's calling on our lives. We shouldn't be waiting on the sidelines or sitting on the bench. Well, just call me in. Tap me when you're ready. No, we should have this desire of saying, God, I'm available. Like Jonathan, I'm available for God to use me. What do you want to do, God? As a church, we're coming into 2020. Lord, we're available to be used by you to reach this city, to reach this state, to reach this region, to reach this nation, to reach the world. What do you want to do with us? How do you want to use us? Where are you calling us to go? Who are you calling us to go after? What do you desire for us into 2020? Because, church, we want 
to be able to say, into faith we go when it comes to the things of the Lord. I pray that today as we head out that this would inspire you throughout the rest of the year, but also remind you that God is not finished with this church. He's not finished with you. And there are great things ahead for us in 2020. I pray that we're all on board for it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for not just these stories, Lord, but these real life accounts that you give us to inspire us for the things that you're about. Lord, we desire to be about your business. We desire to be about your call. We desire to be about the vision, Lord, that you have for your church here in Aurora. We ask, Lord, that you prepare our hearts, Lord, that you would give us the mindset that's needed to follow you in faith, to overcome the things that seem insurmountable, that we might have victory in you, that we might prevail against the gates of hell. I pray that for our hearts today, Lord, as we head out, that you bless us. Before we go, I think even as I'm sharing that, there's some here in this room that you, you don't even follow Jesus yet. Like you're not even there yet, but you've realized that through this message, through this time in God's word, that's where you need to start. Uh, you need to start with that relationship with the God who loves you, with the God who became a man to die for you, first to live for you, to die for you, then to rise again for you, so that you would have a way and an opportunity to have a relationship with the God who loves you. And if that's you today, uh, I would love for you to stand because I want to walk you through a prayer that simply is just confessing to God that we're a sinner, that we've made mistakes, and we want to accept his free gift of forgiveness. And I'm going to give some time. I ended a little bit early because I think there's a spiritual battle even going on here in this room. And for those of you who are saved, please be praying because God wants to rescue those who need saving. And if that's you and you're like, I need that relationship, I need to start with following God so that I might be able to follow his plan, his purpose for my life, I'll wait for you. This is the most important and best decision you'll ever make in your life. And what a way to start 2020 off. Week two and you start a relationship with the creator of the universe. And all standing does is it just helps me see you. And the prayer that you'll be praying is a prayer. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'm going to confess you before my Father in heaven. It's a statement. And it also becomes a memorial for you. But you can always look back at this day as the day that you surrendered your life to Christ. For those of you watching online as well, I'm, I'm giving extra time for you too because I can't see you. But I will pray the prayers that you can do it with us. But if there's anyone here in this room, I want to lead you in that prayer this morning. Amen. I see you in the back. It's a simple prayer and you can repeat it word for word, but uh, you can also make it your own. There's just some key things you need to say. And the first is, dear Jesus, I repent. I turn away from my mistakes, my sins that have separated me from you. I receive your forgiveness, the free gift you've given me through 
your son, Jesus Christ. I ask, Lord, that you would strengthen me by your Holy Spirit to live for you all the days of my life. Thank you for the sacrifice you made for me. I believe that you are God, that you love me, and I will praise your name today and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.